Mm-hmm. And it was a bit like that in the beginning too. If we would go to a restaurant that you had chosen, that I had allowed you to choose, and then I'm there and then I get disappointed about it's too loud or I really don't like the food or whatever. And I remember there was a time in a restaurant where I sat and cried down in the salad. You know, my tears were falling down in the salad uh, because I hadn't spoken up. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome to this episode where I have a conversation with my wife on compromise. Yeah, that's a juicy one. I know people have this idea that compromise may not be a good thing, but we always have to compromise when we're in relationships. And that could be a very good thing, that we come to uh, agreement because the goal in compromise should be to maintain a healthy relationship while coming together to resolve disagreements. And my wife Rainbow and I, we talk about how that shows up in our relationship. We talk about how the compromise needs to be mutual and not just one-sided, and that we have to have good intent. And that especially both people have to maintain our unique identities. I think that is so important because individuality and authenticity encourages people to flourish in their relationship. And of course, you don't want to to be that person that always just gives in, that's so fed up or that doesn't want to deal with the hassle, so they just give in. Mm -mm, That is not a healthy compromise. Yeah, because you say potato, (laughs) I say potato. You say tomato, I say tomato. Potato, patata, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. No, you don't want to call the whole thing off. You want to compromise. You want to come together in your compromise. Yeah, so before we get on to that conversation, just want to steer people to my website, prepo.com. And there you can check out my therapy practice and also my coaching practice. And in my coaching practice, I can work with people from all over. I don't have to be licensed in the state that you're living like a therapist. And I'm really enjoying my coaching sessions, relationship coaching and individual coaching. It's really focused on changing the behavior, going towards the experience that you want. So check out prepo.com. You can sign up for my newsletters. You can also support the podcast with a financial donation if you feel inclined. There is a podcast page, support the podcast button, and you can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is very much appreciated. Thank you. And stay tuned to the very end of this podcast where I'm going to give a tip 
a nice focused tip that you can do to deepen and better your compromise in your relationships. Okay, everybody, you say either, I say either, you say neither, I say neither, neither, neither. Yes, don't call the old thing off. So here we go. My conversation with my wife about a rainbow on compromise. Yeah, let's talk about it. Well, babe, hey, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day, lovey. Mm-hmm. And our subject is compromising. And here we are in the studio on Mother's Day, so that's my little compromise. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I bet we'll have fun. We will. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with compromise, especially since we've been together for 28 years around figuring out how to compromise well with each other and have a healthy relationship around compromise because there's many ways not to do it really healthily. So I appreciate that you wanted to be part of this conversation because it's a, it's a really juicy one around compromise. I think people have a real challenge at times of what that means. Does it, is it negotiation? Is it giving up? Um, people's value system. And for me, mm, compromise has the word authenticity around it, meaning that our authentic needs and who we are doesn't get totally compromised when we are in a compromise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it have definitely been a journey with you of compromising and feeling feelings and, um, yeah, coming to more peace about it in the later years. You know, the one thing that I think that we learned well, um, that we did good around compromise is avoiding talking about compromise when we're angry. I think that's, we learned that. Because I know there's many times where if we are trying to, or something gets heated and we're trying to get an agreement, when we're angry, I know compromise doesn't work well for me. It's kind of like, all right, fine, fine. Just just have it your way. (laughs) Or maybe there's- Or we will keep bitching. Yeah. Yeah, Which is so unsatisfying and steals a lot of energy away from us. Yeah. And even maybe bullying in some way you know, to when we're angry to try to get compromised through criticisms and and complaints. So I think it's so much better that we come back and what we do is we hold our discussions and uh, about compromises when we both feel calm and open to one another. Because when we're open to one another, then that's where ideas float. That's where I want the best for you as well as me. When I'm frustrated or angry, there's something about it that's a little bit with the flight fight response of I need to protect myself and make sure that I get my side, that I advocate way more for myself than actually advocating for our relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
yeah, when we're discussing something and disagreeing and it's starting to boil a little bit. Yeah, and it's just really going down that road there. And we just know it's a dead end. And then one of us have to put our foot down and say, I'm leaving this discussion right now. I'm leaving this conversation because it's going nowhere. And uh, let's go cool off. Not that we necessarily say that. I'll simply just leave the room hmm. and go cool off for five minutes. Or, or if more. it's very heated, I will need more time. So I might go in my art studio or in my garden, definitely in another room away from you so I can cool down and not feel your energies. Yeah. And I also, I really think that the, when, when I think about compromise, I also think about that there is sacrifice, but the sacrifice needs to be mutual and not one-sided. And when I'm cooled off and I have openness, that's in my mind's eye. I really want us to find like a mutual understanding. And because when it's one-sided, it, do, it doesn't work. Um, and especially when people get resigned, like I have people in my, you know, when I counsel, I hear people say, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So I don't even speak up. And I'm like, what? You know, you got to advocate for yourself. You know, I have clients that maybe one wants to get together with friends or go on a vacation with friends or out of town. And I hear them say, no, nah, I don't even bring it up because it's just going to cause more trouble. It's just going to cause more of an issue. Well, what the issue is going to be is when that person after a while is going to feel resentful because they're just giving in to that one-sided aspect for the other person's comfort and not also finding what's mutually benefit for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what do you do in that situation with that, with a couple like that? Well, I talk about how important it is to advocate for yourself in an authentic way, to find out what the needs and desires are, and to really understand that if the other person is, let's say, negating that person's need or desire? Are they doing it out of fear? Are they doing it out of trauma? Are they doing it out of not trusting, out of jealousy? Which a lot of those things are not good to have in a relationship, so they have to work that out. Mm -hmm. They have to work uh -huh. that, that insecurity out. Yeah, I see. So you sit there and, and guide till you, and poke in there till you find out yeah. what's underlying. Yeah. Like we never really had those issues around. I mean, you go to you go into Denmark in about a week, and you're gonna go for seven weeks. And we've been doing this very often over the years. And in some way, that's a compromise. It's a compromise that that you're gonna be gone. I got some extra chores to do. I've got the full garden to take care of. Yeah, and a lot water. of watering to do. Yeah, because some of the compromises you do all of that. I don't do that while you're around and while, while you're home. So that's a, another big time added to, to my uh, focus. Um, even though we do take turns with cooking and some other things, that's going to be all on me. But I do the shopping. Yeah, but you and do the shopping. And now you have to do that. Yeah. So it's a compromise, but I also know that you are going to have a wonderful time and there is a need for you to be with your family and to stay a little longer so you can 
indulge yourself in your in your culture and feel that again because it's a compromise that you're actually living here, isn't it, in some way? Yes, it definitely is a compromise, living away from my own culture, living so far away from Denmark, and not be surrounded by my own family. Mm. Yeah. And that's when I put my foot down and said, I have to go to Denmark now and then, every other year or every year, whatever is possible, what we can handle money-wise. And I want our son to come with me so he get a relationship with all his family members in Denmark and get to experience a culture. And I put my foot down there. I would not compromise on that one. Yeah, I know you didn't. <laughs> then there was times where I was like, wow, you're going for eight weeks? Or didn't one time that you go for like three months? Three months. Yeah. Several times we went for three months because that's back when we homeschooled Sander. Yeah. And I mean, my goodness, a flight ticket, it's quite some money. So uh, why fly over for two weeks? I mean, I'm from Denmark, from Europe. We have long vacations there. It's just in my blood. If you go on vacation, it's many weeks, or else it's not vacation. But also, of course, when I immerse with my family, I'm only going to see them once a year or every other year. And in some ways, that has been a compromise of where we put our financial resources, because all of those Denmark trips, we could have been putting it towards other things for the house or other travels for us. But again, you know, when when I was very open and grounded to really understand in the long run, especially too, what that was going to do for you, for Xander, for um, your the well-being of your family, of them being able to see you that often. Like there was a compromise there. And I feel, I feel pretty good about that. You know, that, yeah, there's things that we could have had for our house or, you know, um, we got cars that have uh, almost a couple hundred thousand miles on it. And, and, but that Denmark trip pretty much every year, it's important. And I also feel, hmm, I kind of feel that, yeah, because of the sacrifice, I think that you have made, you never, it was never a negotiation that you said, I'll live here if I'm able to go every year. Well, yeah, we never really made that clear and figured that out. And we had just known each other for one year when I got pregnant. So things just happened. And then it wasn't even something I thought about that I needed to see my family. But suddenly I just knew that I needed to see my family. And I wanted them to see my child. And I wanted them to be in his life. You know, it, it just unfolds and suddenly things become clear. And and then you realized you had to make more money to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a compromise, too, that I know that I'm working while you're going away. And not that you're on vacation because you're with your family and you're doing many activities. But I knew that that was a part of my role to make that happen. And that was called also in our relationship. Like we never really talked about in the beginning, okay, I'm gonna be kind of more the sole breadwinner um, when when we were pregnant and uh, Xander was born. 
we really didn't talk about, okay, people, you're gonna work most of the time. Cause at that time I wasn't even working. Yeah, we, we were living off of my savings for a few years. You weren't really <laughs> working the first three years of his life anyway. Exactly. So it was just unfolding. Yeah. And then the compromise came when, when I knew that you wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I want to praise that, especially on Mother's Day today. I mean, that was such a good decision that we made, that you were home every day with him, that you homeschooled him. And uh, even though you did have some jobs that were um, work-at-home jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, I was pretty clear about that love that... I would not go out and work while I have a cute, wonderful child at home. He was so fun to be with all the time. I didn't want to lose a moment of that. And um, yeah, so I got some jobs I could do in my home and he could be with me. Enjoyable, artistic jobs. So that worked out well. And then the way I homeschooled him, first we were not talking so much about that either. It just unfolded naturally that um, I wanted him to have friends, of course. And I was willing to host those friends in, in our home for play dates. And then it turned into homeschool groups. So he had two homeschool groups. And... Um, and I am not an academic person at all. And by then you were full-time working. And so you were not really going to be the homeschooler of the academics. So and my style is more like relaxed, walled off nature and fairies and stuff. And... Um, and like unschooling. We happened to read that book, the unschooling book, and... It resonated with you too. Yeah. Yeah, that ended up being a compromise to me of like, I thought we were going to follow some academic program and homeschooling. So he'd have all those skills and so forth. And we just kind of trusted, you know, to focus more on some of the values of him being a good human being and, uh, and making good decisions and, and exploring and being really interested and inquisitive and, so that was an interesting compromise, you know, for me in that way that that I in some way followed your lead on it because I really trusted how you were uh, focused with the with the school with him and how you were with every day and how excited he was and the, and the things that you were doing with him. So, yeah, that was an interesting compromise for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. I had a very strong intuition. I just knew that being at home, tuning into my child and making games together with him and being very creative and let it unfold, that that's what childhood is about. That's what's important in childhood. And look at him now. Like he's he's going to be getting his master's degree in biomimicry. He's a scientist. <laughs> you know, so like the academics ended up working out more on his own. Yeah, even wasn't. though he got nothing of that till he was 10 and then went to school. Yeah, yeah. he caught up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now he'd been in Europe schooling there for six years and is coming home to live with us again and homestead with us with his fiance, and we'll make our own little 
community here. Yeah, and I imagine there's going to be some good compromises with the four of us being so close, living together, and just in our our Zoom with Emma and Xander today, how Emma was saying that we should have these uh, vision meetings and talk about how we want our future to be together, and and uh, I just love that that we're going to be doing that collectively and doing that in ways of what's going to be the best compromise for everybody. Yes, I love that. Yeah, she's coming with many good ideas. And uh, yeah, of course, we will have to compromise, all four of us. And yeah. When do you think that compromise doesn't work? You know, when do you think that it's, it goes awry? You know, I see it in in my work a little bit when um, one person is just resigned to, okay, I'll do whatever you say, you know, because they don't want to rock the boat. Is there other aspects of compromise where you see that, that it doesn't work? Hmm. Well, I don't know, love. Mm, maybe when we were out on a date and you would ask me what restaurant should we go to and... I would say, well, you suggest some restaurants and it wasn't so important to me except that you know that the atmosphere has to be cozy and not noisy. Yeah. I think I think you brought up a point because that happens a lot with people. I like when you give opinions, even though if you say, well, I really don't care. I don't know how true that is. I think in some way that you do. Um, and because I know that there's times where, oh, I don't care. And then I suggest a restaurant and you're like, no, <laughs> I suggest another food. No. It's like, well, you do care. So I think yeah. it is important. So I've become more and more clear about that also in the years together, where I first kind of just let you take the decisions. Yeah. And so I think in that way, it's important for people to maintain their unique identity and to be able to speak to that and speak to the want and the need the desire that they have and and to see how it lands with the other person. Yes. Yeah, I would definitely say I was more quiet about a lot of uh, such opinions in the earlier years with you. Um, probably for, for various reasons. Also because I am a flexible person, but also because I was living in another culture. So since it your culture, I kind of let you take the lead naturally there and thinking, well, you know better. Um, yeah, and then gradually you would just very uh, cleverly say, well, do you want, you would give me choices instead of just choosing. You'd say, how about this or that? What's your feeling and opinions about it? So you were coaching me out to to make choices. And that was very supportive for me. I really appreciate that. Mm, yeah. Because yeah, I don't want any, um, you know, I don't want you to deny your feelings because I realize that perhaps there is going to be some longstanding resentment if you don't get your feelings or your desires put out there. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit like that in the beginning too. If we would go to a restaurant that you had chosen that I had allowed you to choose and then I'm there and then I get disappointed about it's too loud or I really don't like the food or whatever. 
And I remember there was a time in a restaurant where I sat and cried down in the salad. You know, my tears were falling down in the salad uh, because I hadn't spoken up, uh, stuff like that. And another time I walked out of a restaurant, we were going in with some friends and it was extremely loud and crowded. And I walked out and I said, I will not eat in there. You guys can eat, but I will not. But then you all came out and said, actually, you're right. Let's find another restaurant. Yeah. And there was a compromise there because we we realized like, yeah, um, it is really loud. It is really crowded. And we found the best restaurant and we had wonderful conversations. Yeah, so, we really got much deeper in our conversations because there wasn't all that noise. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lovely experience. Mm-hmm. So that really um, gave me more more confidence about putting my foot down, speaking up, and saying my feelings instead of holding them in, and perhaps have resentment about it, and not saying it. And now that has changed for me. I speak up, I listen to my feelings, I say if it doesn't feel right, and I'm like, no, let's um, negotiate this one. I'm glad you're really not the, the person that, like like I said about people who they give up every argument easily and it turns into a toxic habit. You know, people end up doing it automatically, even when it comes to like big decisions, like where to move and or non-negotiables about whether to have kids or not, they just give in. And if we let ourselves get steamrolled into like life-changing decisions like that, the results can be catastrophic. And I see that in my, in my practice when somebody says, well, I didn't really want to move here. And like, I thought you said that you did. No, you kept wanting to, and you kept wanting to, and I was putting up my reservations, but you didn't hear it. And I felt like I got steamrolled. And then it turns catastrophic because now here they are with two different realities and they don't really know how to resolve or transform uh, the way that they compromise and negotiate because now there's a lot of resentment. Yeah, Yeah. I can understand that. And I can definitely see some some of that with some friends um, and see, wow, you should have spoken up much earlier. And now they went way too far down the road and... It ended up with divorce. Yeah. And if they do stay there, is uh, they become passive aggressive about oh, it later. Oh, gosh, yes. A lot of yelling. Yeah. yeah. Before the divorce actually happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how, you know, there's small compromises that we orbit each other around the house. Like when I started getting back into um, working out and weight, weight bearing exercise. And I got kettlebells and, and I wanted the kettlebells accessible. So I had them in the living room or I had my other exercise mats and gloves and resistant bands. And, and it was wonderful how you compromise, you put a basket so I could put all my stuff in there and cover it a little bit with the mat, but you still let me have all of my kettlebell weights that's underneath a little bit of a of a chair so I could still access it and see it. I mm-hmm. just love that compromise because 
our house is so unique and so beautiful, but in one corner, <laughs> we've got about like five kettlebells, you know, and some of these exercise equipment. So how was that for you around that, around that compromise? Yeah, how was that? Well, it annoyed me. It didn't look pretty in my, you know, feng shui setup of the living room. I wanted a smooth and harmonious. And um, I just realized, no, it is important that you stay fit. And if those kettlebells are hiding somewhere and they're heavy and you have to take them out, it might not happen. And a living room is really for living in it and not just looking neat. So... I actually really turned around and thought, it's very cool that your exercise gear is in the living room, in the yoga mats and that, and that we do it right there in the living room. It's spacious enough for it. And that's, um, it really is purposeful that we're living in our living room. So first I compromised and grumped a little bit. And, and then I was like, I really turned around and thought, no, this is really good. I like it. Hmm. Well, I think you even started off with that, with that interesting compromise of when Xander would, when he was even starting to ride a bike. We have a pretty nice size living room. We have a wood stove right in the middle. And he would ride his small little bike around the wood stove in the living room. And, I, and in the beginning, I thought, wow, you, you, we shouldn't allow this. Like, Bikes are supposed to be outside. And it was a wonderful compromise that you made and I followed your lead because he was very excited. He didn't damage anything and and he learned how to ride his bike. And the next thing it was his wave board, that skateboard that he did around the house. And and I just love, oh, and you compromised with, uh, we put a basket, a little Nerf basket above one of the doors. Actually, I want to say I did not compromise at all, lovey, because back in the early days, I wasn't into the living room looking neat at all mm. when he was little. So it was me who wanted him to bike around in the living room. So maybe it was more you who compromised <laughs> because who know of someone who bikes around in the living room? Yeah, I don't That's think I know anyone <laughs> who does that. And to me, it just seemed totally natural because we live so far out on in the forest that he couldn't really bike out there. There was no paved roads. And I wanted him to learn to bike so that he could bike when he came to Denmark with me and the joy of biking. And I loved that you played basketball in the living room. And I made sure there was no, nothing breakable nearby. I just wanted, you know, us to live and work room. out a and do room. stuff. And yes, that he then he had his skateboard as he grew into a teenager. It was the skateboard in the living room and the waveboard. And I just loved seeing him on the waveboard around in the living room into the kitchen and having conversations with us while he was rolling around. And that's pretty cool because often parents complain about that their teenagers don't want to talk with them. But we allowed him to play with stuff in the living room still as a teenager. 
Yeah, he would be juggling balls too as he was <laughs> driving on the waveboard. And it was just so cool. And it sparked good conversations between us. Yeah. I think that was a compromise. It's so funny that you said that too, because like, you're right. I thought it was, uh, um, it was your idea. Uh, wait a second. I, I thought that, like you said, that I had the issue with it and I wanted to take credit for it. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I did have a little problem with it in the beginning. And that's a beautiful compromise that we made too, knowing that he was interacting. Okay, so there was some scuffs on the wooden floor, but he was interacting with us. And instead of him being up in his room, like on some electronics or something, he was with us and he was communicating. So that to me was a wonderful compromise with him. Yeah, great, you're seeing that, lovey. Hmm. And actually, you know, often kids' rooms are not very big. so. There's not much action they can do in their living room, physical action. And then the living room should be for that and not be so neat. So it was never neat in all the years he grew up. It was after he moved away from home and moved to Europe that I began to make the house more neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I think I compromised pretty well around a lot of the feminine or female energy that's in a lot of the artwork that's in our house. Don't you, come on, don't mm -hmm. you agree with that? Yeah, it's amazing how a lot of my artwork is actually uh, female oriented. It's uh, women figures on most of my paintings and creations. Yeah, and plus I do women's groups in our home and I've done it for many years. So what happens when all these women come over? You can't be in the house. You have to go out. Um, or you simply have to. Yeah. No, well, in in the in the first many years beginnings, you you had friends, so you would simply go on dates with them, or you would go on a boys' date with Sander. You would simply go out and and do something, but then in the latter years here, you didn't really want to go out on a Wednesday night. Well, I think it was a little different. I was working more in town back then, so I would go out. Now on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm at home. So now I'm sequestered upstairs, locked in my cave. You locked me in my cave, right? I was supposed to say that. <laughs> I locked you in the cave. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. But that's not true. Of course, you can come out and pee. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's, a, it's a sweet little compromise because I get to go ahead and watch some of my sports so, shows and my favorite one that I watch over and over, the captain, my boy, Jared, uh, Derek Jeter, that I get to watch. And so it's a, it's a nice little compromise for me that you're down with all your women and I get to have some, some peace time and do my own thing where, where you have no idea what I'm doing. So... That's an mm -hmm. interesting and compromise. isn't that is that really a compromise? I bet you love being yeah. in this cozy cave up here in your podcast studio. <laughs> and there's that big bed and sofa and that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I I think that one thing that I'm thinking about is that that I'm glad that we don't do that. I see other people do is keep score. You know the the aspect is as long as you don't you know keeping score everything. Because if you do that, it will turn into a competition. And if you're constantly competing with your partner, 
it is exhausting. So I'm glad we don't do this tit for tat all the time. Well, I gave you this, so you give me that. It's more, I think, goodwill is I know even early on when you would be homeschooling Xander and have Xander during the day when I was working, it was more of a given that I said, hey, you know, on Mondays, I want boys days or I want to go away for a weekend with him. And it, I don't think it was competition in that or tit for tat. It was just a balance. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you spoke up for your own needs uh, and created Boys Days. That was your idea. And that you took him to go visit your family on little trips for a weekend or a week. I thought that was really cool. And I loved having that break at home as well because I was around him so much. And I was really glad you wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so important to have my individual connection with him, that he felt safe with me, that um, he felt that I was equal in the parenting and knew a lot about his life and that he could really get a balance of my energy and how I would communicate with him and negotiate things with him and not just, well, what did mom say? You know, we'll do what mom said, you know. There was none of that. Yeah, that was a very important thing that unfolded there when you had your boys' time together, that you were talking about issues and the two of you would work something out together, then you would bring that to me and negotiate and make a compromise with me as uh, you two guys. Yeah. And that was a little different. It added more to our family team where you could say, as parents, it was us who negotiated things and then presented it to him. But in this case here, as he got older, you um, showed him that you and him together could work out some things that you then would present to me. So yeah, that was it, good. In some way, it enabled me to have and practice empathy just with him. And I can empathize with his situation because maybe I would ask questions differently to him than you or a different perspective or coming from a boy to a boy. I understood that more. And so I think the practice of empathy is so important when it comes to, of course, aspects of communication, but when it comes down to compromise, because I need to empathize and understand your situation or your needs or your wants in order to come to a good compromise that is a win-win for for both of us. Or at times, maybe it's not uh, a total 50-50, But if I empathize and maybe what you need is important right now and less important to me through empathy, through understanding. Yes, that's a very important key word you're saying there. Empathy. Yeah. It it compromises so much more satisfying when there's empathy involved. Yeah. And understand, trying to understand the other's point of view. Yeah, and at least listening to it and and um, feeling into it. Yeah, because if you decide to push blindly towards having your 
weigh in every disagreement, then you'll never be able to see the world through your, someone else's eyes. And I think that's so important, it's so important. Yeah, because it also expands my world to could see the world through your eyes. And it's very interesting. Hmm. And it's very interesting having conversations about that with you and not agreeing and realizing, wow, that's how you see the world? Gosh, I see it very differently. This is how I see it. And then realizing, wow, there's things we're not in agreement about and it's okay. I think that is the key when we come back, if we're if we're having a disagreement to try to come to a, a resolution or a decision, when we do take time apart to self-soothe, when we do come back, that's the big part that I think the energy is that we that we try to understand, okay, tell me more about your, your viewpoint. Instead of, you know, me uh, when we separate to go back and go, all right, what's my what's more my argument? What how am I gonna push my agenda more? What I end up doing is like, all right, what can I open up to actually see her point more? What is she saying that I'm not really understanding? And then hopefully I come back and ask you more of that. And that makes our compromise and negotiations really open and expand instead of coming back with the same fucking agenda. There Now there's a new one. It's mm -hmm. like, boom, I want to know more of your world. Yeah. That's very interesting because I feel there was some years where it was a little more stuck, like you had your opinion, I had my opinion, and we just couldn't agree on certain subjects. And it wouldn't really go anywhere every time we tried to discuss them. And then gave it time and just realized, gosh, we actually have to compromise on these big issues. We're not moving anywhere with them, trying to convince the other one. And so we had that for some while, for some years. And then we were like, ah, oh, let's just compromise. It's okay. Let's test it out. It's actually possible to can go on living and not agree about these issues. I think one subject that couples have a real hard time agreeing or the compromises around sex you know the the frequency of sex the yeah the, the desire for sex and a lot of times the compromise is more not um not authentic it's more they just i hear a lot of times one couple goes you know i just i just do it you know because just to get it over with or i know that it's important to you um or I'm not gonna compromise on this. And uh, so they come from different different degrees instead of really being open to, hey, what what's underneath of what we want in a healthy sex life? And how does it feel when we are in a, in a groove, a healthy sex groove with each other? Are we communicating better? Are we more respectful? Um, are couples really speaking up of the needs around sex? Like a lot of times they don't even compromise about how they have sex, what positions they have sex, foreplay. There's no compromise about it. Because one thing is around sex, people don't like to talk about sex. It's shameful and they don't know how to have the vocabulary. They, It's a big trigger for people around shame. And through the years, you and I have come to really good understanding and 
and negotiations and compromises around what kind of healthy sex life, healthy relationship that we want with each other. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily an easy journey for us at all. And um, it obviously was a subject that we had to um, have up in our relationship a lot and work on throughout all the years. I don't know how many years ago, but I remember when you said something to the effect of like, yes, I realized it is important. Our sex life is important. And you were like, we need to have sex at least twice a week. There was a big smile on my face. And so I was like, oh, cool that you that you recognize that. But there was, it was uh, instead of an energy of me trying to convince you or push you to do something that you weren't inclined more to do, um, it was a it was a good compromise in the way of what is the overall picture, and the overall picture was more about our connection, and uh, and then when we started having agreements about it, uh, it was it was such a transformational change. Mm-hmm. And the smart thing was also, or the turning point was that. It wasn't that you were trying to convince me, but you were simply putting down some, yeah, some overall picture of how it can be and the future and and what we get out of it. And it made sense what you were bringing up. And I could see, yeah, it is true. After we make love, we are much more connected and the tendency to fight is really low for for a while after making love. So it's like, wow, that actually is a really good maintenance tool to make love. I could really see it. And of course, I want harmony. So yes, then let's agree upon when to make love and how much to make love. Let's actually talk more about it. And they were so freeing and so empowering to me too to make my choice. Mm. Uh, not just give in or compromise, um, but uh, to actually see the picture and feel my feelings and say, yeah, this makes sense. Yes, this is part of it. To and, have sex twice a week is a good thing. And it was also uh, coming when it came from you. You know, there was, um, you initiated in those years, you know, after we had that conversation, you, it was like you bought into it. And I didn't have to try to convince you in some ways and that you would just go along in the compromise. It was more that the compromise came from more of it, like you said, your choice, and that you would bring it up and say, you know, a few days, I don't know, you would say, you know, it's Tuesday, Tuesday's coming up, we should make love Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I also realized it was actually much more empowering that it was me taking the initiative of something that I had low-key energy for. What is that called? Low, low, low libido? Mm, yeah, you had low sexual desire because of many reasons your health and some other things that were going on for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then it got more into balance as I took care of those health issues and and got more in uh, good energy in my body. And, and it was certainly very empowering to be the one who who take the initiative when I was ready for it. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for that. That was a good compromise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gave a lot of peace instead of waiting or letting it be you who took the initiatives. There was some stress in that for me, actually. Mm. That, ooh, as a good wife, I have to uh, obey the husband's wishes. Or yeah, so, you know, that... That was such bullshit. Come on. That, that's, yeah. that's ancestral shit that yes, you had to work exactly. on. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah, and I had to work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. Me too. Very empowering to face it and realize it and work through it. Mm-hmm. Well, lovey-dovey. Mm. Thank you. This was good. Uh, anything else that you can think of that um, we need to kind of explore around around compromise? I mean... Part of the compromise was we were going to do this podcast so then we can also take your car in for service tonight and drop it off and do that before nine o'clock. And, <laughs> you know, it's, I think we're, you know, just to say that I think we're constantly compromising in some ways when we're making decisions, when we're partnering, when we're sharing our lives. And I'm so glad that I'm doing it with you. I just love how we do negotiate and compromise because we have such good communication. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's an interesting journey. I mean, being in a relationship, it's compromise. That's one of the big themes in relationships is compromise. And it, it will be for all the years we're together, compromise will be part of it. And that's just how it is. And we better have peace with that. And but doing it in an equal way where we discuss things and and we work it out and we say our opinion. And today's Mother's Day, and I didn't really feel for going out like we had thought about we wanted to do, and I'll rather do it tomorrow, and that was fine with you. So, Yep. And so I think that that's such a good compromise is when... Afterwards, we all feel, we both feel um, more authentic. We both feel that we are um, coming out better people that um, feel more alive, feel more um, interested, uh, expanded, as opposed to small and contracted and resentful. So that's when I know a compromise is also really good when when they're like, I feel the better part of me in our compromise. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad we do that. It it feels really good to me that I have worked through the roles my mom and dad had and that I continued first and that I worked through them and transformed them to become an equal with my partner instead of fighting and having uh, resentments and the passive-aggressive games that was there in the beginning that my parents did. Ooh, what a relief to not do that. I'm relieved too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, my love. Mm. And this was juicy. And uh, 
so glad to spend this Mother's Day with you. And uh, it's uh, it's been such an honor to watch and observe and to be in awe of your mothering. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, lovey. Mm. All right, thanks. So I told you that I would give you a tip. And I think it is a very, very important one. And that tip is curiosity. That's right. Curiosity is so important to the experience of compromise. When you show curiosity and you ask questions and find out something interesting or more information about the other person, your partner, people disclose more. They share more. And they return the favor by asking questions of you. So it sets up a spiral of give and take, which fosters intimacy and it fosters a better, deeper compromise. So here's what I want you to do. The next time that you're going back and forth and you're trying to be right or you're trying to get an answer and resolve something and you can't, it feels like a conflict, I want you to pause and I want you to get more curious of the other person. I want you to ask more questions and not rhetorical questions, questions that you are sincerely interested to find out more information, to find out the needs and the de desires and the, and the preferences of the other person. And when you ask those questions, I want you to really feel the curiosity and the interest. That's the key. You got to feel it. So if you have more of that, while you're trying to come to a compromise, you will have a much better and healthier experience. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.